0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit RedemptionCalgaryNorth.com. Well, Happy Mother's Day. Um, Especially thankful this day for my mom and uh, my mother-in-law and, of course, my incredible wife who has been such an amazing mother to my two girls. And uh, it's just uh, a good day to remember um, the many blessings that we have in mothers. And uh, so I pray that you guys are having a great day today. And I'm excited uh, about getting into the Word uh, this morning as we uh, continue in the book of Ruth. How many of you like surprises? Maybe I should say that. How many of you like good surprises? Right. Sometimes surprises come and they're not that great, but a good surprise. I mean, that's that's an awesome thing. And um, I I remember uh, probably probably for me, the the time where I've been surprised the most, where I had like no idea uh, it it was coming, was on my 40th birthday. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, a surprise is like you're going one direction and then something totally changes. Right. And um, I remember on that weekend, my brother and sister-in-law had come down on friday night and we were talking about what we we're going to do the next day and we thought well let's we're going to go to banff and um i remember my brother-in-law I was like you know what should we do and we're talking through the plans and we got up the next day and uh, we're gonna we're gonna head out to banff and i remember even like being in the foyer before we, before leaving like oh we, you know you have to get some scarves and mitts and that kind of thing because it's in october and we got into the vehicle and then we were on our way to banff And uh, we decided, um, there's just one errand I need to do. I just need to drop off a book uh, to Joe Cowie, but that was no problem, because it was just off the highway, and we drop off the book, and then we're on the way to Banff to celebrate my birthday. And... Got there and Joe met me out on the step and I remember just talking with him. He's like, "Oh, thanks for the book," and and uh, he's like, "Oh, I, I just I just need you to come and sign this one thing." I think that's what he said to get me to come in. And so I was like, "Oh, okay, sure." So I I went out and he I he opened the door and he just yelled, "Surprise!" Everyone and and it wasn't just him. There was like there's a room full of people who yelled "surprise," and I was this. I just remember thinking like, "What's going on?" Like. Um, my family's in the vehicle and and uh, we're, we're supposed to be going to Banff and and you know We just got the gloves and everything and and where's where everyone's vehicles like where, where did everyone park? And I was just so confused and and what I didn't know is that my family knew all about it And they've been a part of this whole plan and uh, it was just it was a great time Yeah, uh, we had a lot of fun together But that was one of those times where I was just like shocked and surprised and in, in, in a good way and, um, and hopefully you have some examples of that in your life. And as I think about that, I think about what's about to happen here in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 1 has not been great. There's been a lot of heartache involved. And um, there's been some really uh, exciting things as as Ruth commits to cope to with Naomi, no matter what the cost. But we just ended a section where Ru- uh, Naomi has come home to Bethlehem. And she's... She's not happy. Um, She's coming home and she just realizes how much she's lost. When she left, she said she left full. She had a husband and two sons. And now she gets home and she says, I have nothing. The Lord has brought me home empty. And so um, she even tells the ladies of the town, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me Pleasant anymore. Call me Bitter. That's my new name. Call me Mara and she thinks that's the trajectory for the rest of her life but in verse 22 we got a little bit of uh, um, an insight into the fact that that's not going to be the case with her her trajectory is about to change we had just been told that you know remember she's not empty she didn't come out back empty she actually has this daughter-in-law with her called ruth and um, by the end of ruth as we looked at last week they're going to say to Naomi, she is worth to you more than seven sons. So God has not left her empty. And as opposed to the beginning of chapter one, where it was a famine, now it's the time of harvest. And uh, what we're going to see here as we get into chapter two is there's going to be a great surprise. The day is going to start out really bad and it's going to end incredibly well. And over the next two weeks, as we study chapter two, we're going to see god at work we're going to see this week that that god is a god who is very gracious and i've entitled this morning's sermon glory in the grace so before we get into it let me pray for us one more time and then we'll get into it lord god we are so thankful that we have this time in your word today god we are um we're humbled by your grace towards us god what do we have that you have not given us. Lord, everything that we have physically, even our very breath, God, is a gift from you. Every, everything that we have um, with with relationships, Lord, again, it's a gift from you. And, and and then, of course, Lord, eternal life in you. God, you are so good to us. And this morning, as we study this passage in Ruth, God, I, I pray that you would just help us to get our eyes off of whatever it is that we're facing right now, whatever it is that that would be distracting us from you, and Lord, that you would just help us to get our eyes firmly fixed upon you. And that by the time we're done studying your word today, God, we would just be in awe once again of who you are. And Lord, we're so thankful that, Lord, you know everything about us. Lord, you know what we need to hear today. And so, God, I pray that you would take your word and that you would press it into each one of our hearts, Lord, to encourage us, to spur us on, to make us more like you. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to love you more. Lord, would you use this preacher now for your glory and for your honor? It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to get right into the text today. Uh, Ruth chapter 2. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, uh, again, I just... uh, encourage you to download an app or or something like that even just reach out to our church if you'd like a a bible just reach out to us we'd love to get you a copy of god's word but um it's so important anytime we 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 come to church we want to have our bibles open we want to hear from god not from man and uh, so we're going to be looking at ruth chapter 2 and as i've already said ruth chapter 1 a little discouraging And uh, there's been some bumps along the line, but now we see God's going to do some incredible things. So, three ways we'll see God's amazing grace manifested, as we're going to look at the text. Three ways that we're going to see God's amazing grace manifested. And the first way that we see God's amazing grace is in His absolute control. In His absolute control. God is over everything. That's what we're going to see as we get into these first four verses. It begins this way now Naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz we've just been told about they remember Ruth's still here remember the the harvest is, is harvest time now and now he gives us even more reason for hope he tells us that there's this guy by the name of Boaz And that he's related to elimelech he's a relative of his and and um he's he's uh he's a man who is what it says here a worthy man a worthy man now this this text is um a little bit difficult in in a couple of senses first We don't know exactly what kind of relative he was. Uh, Was he a brother to Elimelech? Was he a cousin? Like, we don't know that stuff. Uh, All we know is that he is a relative. And then when it says here that he's a worthy man, it's, again, a difficult word to to translate. Uh, Let me just give you some of the examples of uh, of our English translations. The ESV, of course, says a worthy man. Uh, The NIV says that he's a man of standing. Uh, The New American Standard says he's a man of great wealth. Uh, The New Revised Standard says that he's a prominent rich man. And then the New Living Translation gives us this, that he's a wealthy and influential man. Now, all of those are are kind of stating the same thing in the sense that he's got wealth, he's got influence. And then uh, some texts will even say that he was a man of valor. And uh, that was uh, given to men like Gideon, men of, uh, that, that were warriors. And there's a sense, even when you're not a warrior in the, in the army sense, there's also this sense where you're, you're a man who, of character. And we're going to see that's also said about Boaz. So this is signaling us that, hey, something good's about to happen. It says in verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her daughter, "Go, my daughter." Now, this morning, as as we look at the text again, I want us to be reminded. Just in the verses before, the last thing we hear Naomi saying is like God has been against me. Just call me better. And so I I just get this picture, like she's at home, and it might be sunny outside, but there's still rain clouds in the house. You know, she's just having a really difficult time, Naomi, getting going to to do anything. And, And we see instead Ruth taking the initiative here and sometimes we we're, we're at a place in life like that like Naomi was where it's just it's just really hard to to get going and you know she's she's had the loss and maybe even she's tired physically from the trip um, back to Bethlehem whatever the case you just see this kind of this person maybe who's just not where she ought to be right now and so Praise God. She's got this lady, Ruth, in her life, just like all of us need someone in our life. Sometimes when we're down, we're discouraged. We, we need someone. I just want to even say this morning, if that's you, if you're down and you're discouraged, and you're just even having trouble getting going in the day, reach out to someone. Just let them know how they're doing, so they, how you're doing, so they can help you out. But Ruth says, and again, note it says Ruth the Moabite. Uh, remember, foreigner, not from this place. She she has no idea anything about Bethlehem, but she says, "Let me go to the field and glean on the years of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor." Now, we're not told how she got this knowledge, but somehow Ruth knows that in Israel, the Israelite culture, that there's this thing, thing called gleaning for those who are foreigners. Now, this was set up by God in His law in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. God says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And so... We see here a provision God had made for those who were on the outside of society, those who were the sojourner. Uh, to glean was to take the stalks of grain left after the first cutting. right? So they would go and they would reap, but they wouldn't get everything as they're going through. There would be some things left over. And Even in this text in Leviticus, we're told, they were told, don't go to the edges of your crops. You don't have to go through and leave some on the edges. God, in His intentionality, is taking care of those in need. We see again in De- Deuteronomy 24:17 to 22 Deuteronomy 24, 17-22. He says this to the people of Israel. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. This picture of redemption, how God redeemed them out of Egypt. We're seeing God is about to redeem Ruth and Naomi out of the situation that they're in. Verse 19, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Again, you just see God's loving care for those who oftentimes are left out in society, for the orphan. For, for the widow, for the sojourner. People that would easily be pushed out of society and not taken care of. God said, hey, I have a way for you to be taken care of. And so even as we're thinking about, remember the famine in at the start of chapter one? The famine came because they likely were not following God, just like we see in the entire book of Judges. But at the end, we see him showing his favor. So it seems like They're following the Lord's commands. And so we see Ruth getting ready to go out into the fields. She asks Naomi, Can I do this? And Naomi says, Yes, go, my daughter. So, on the one hand, we see her with an affectionate term for Ruth that she's saying, Go, my daughter, but she doesn't tell her where to go. Remember, Ruth is, a, is, a, is, a, is just coming to town for the first time, but she's just going to go up to the field and she's praying that she'll be able to find someone who will show her favor as she goes. That's the plan. That Maybe that someone would show her favor as she goes out. So... Verse three, she sets out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So she. Says, okay, thanks, mom. She goes out, she sets out, and she gets to a field where she's able to come after the reapers. Again, remember this picture. The reapers are going through the field. And if you're a gleaner, you wait till they have harvested what they have harvested, and then you can come in and you can find grain at that point. And so she's found a field where she can come in after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, Remember, remember Boaz back in verse 1 of chapter 2, we've just been told about? Remember that worthy man, the, the man who, who is a man of valor, the, the man who has wealth and means? Like, it's his field. and I love how it's put. She just happened to come to the part of the field. The, 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 in the Hebrew, it's like, she just happened to happen. Like, there's an emphasis on this. And today, we would say things like, well, that was lucky. Well, what, a, what a coincidence. Or, or that was a, a stroke of good fortune. We say those kinds of things all the time. But if you read the, w- the Word of God, what do you see? There is no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as coincidence. Everything is controlled by the Lord. In Proverbs 16, 33, the lot the is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. When they cast lots, it would be like ca- uh, rolling the dice. You know, like, oh, like we're going to see what's going to happen here. But every decision is from the Lord. So why does the, the writer use this wording? Block says this, This is a deliberate rhetorical device on the part of the narrator. By excessively attributing Ruth's good fortune to chance, he forces the reader to sit up and take notice, to ask questions concerning the significance of everything that is transpiring. The statement is ironical. Its purpose is to undermine undermine purely rational explanations for human experiences and to refine the reader's understanding of providence. In reality, is screaming. See the hand of God at work here. Like God is at work. She's wandered out. She has no idea where she's going. She gets to a field. She she finds out that she can reap after or glean after these reapers. And, oh, by the way, she happens to come to the field of Boaz. You think that's good? Check out verse 4. And behold, Boaz from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Oh, while she's there, Boaz, the owner of the field, just happens to show up. Right? Like this is the surprise, right? Like that's what the writer's doing here. He's saying, look what happened. Look, he 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 shows up on the scene while she is there, gleaning. He came from Bethlehem, that's where his home would have been. And note what kind of man he is. He says, The Lord be with you. Now, this is a boss that you would want to have. And this is the kind of boss that all Christians ought to be like. There is no distinction with him between, well, at church I talk this way, and then when I'm at work I talk a different way. No, he's, his desire for his workers, the Lord be with you. He desires that God would, would bless them. He desires that God would be walking with them. And what a great example, again, uh, that, that he would think that way. And I, I pray as bosses, anyone who is uh, over overseeing anyone, in a workplace. That would be your heart for the people you work with. You just say to God, God, would you be with them? Would you be gracious and use me so they might be reconciled to you? So Lord, you would truly be with them on a daily basis. There's nothing greater that you could desire for your for your employees than that they might know God. Well, the reapers, when they hear that greeting, they say, the Lord be with you. The blessing goes right back to him. Looks like a great workplace environment, and uh, and so that's what we see here. Uh, Hubbard. Uh, before we move on, just has a, a a note based on the Hebrew. The two greetings form a chiasm with the name Yahweh. It affirmed the presence of Yahweh in this scene by this simple device. The narrator reminded his audience that though offstage, Yahweh was nevertheless within earshot. In fact, when you really look at this, the text and what's happening here, you can't mistake to see that God is at work. He's in control of this whole thing, right? He's the one that lays it upon Ruth's heart to go and to, and to glean. He's the one who directs her to the field. He's the one that, that directs her to Boaz's field. He's the one who has Boaz come from Bethlehem at that moment so that they their pathways might intersect. God is doing this kind of stuff all the time. He still does it today. Do you believe that? That God is in control of everything and, and, and over who you would see today, over the circumstances of your life? He is. This last week, I just had some awesome examples of that i um one of the guys i was talking to from the church he was telling me his house just sold like that's pretty cool especially in today's market how about this how about selling your house and not having it on the market and having pulled it off the market now some people say well you know that was just a coincidence they did somebody just happened to know like there is no coincidence god is in control of that uh, just last week, I remember talking with someone and then and, and some, someone they knew needed to have surgery and if it didn't happen right away, it wasn't going to happen. And at that point, it looked like, yeah, it's not going to happen. But within a week, God had totally changed that whole situation. And now that person is getting a surgery. God is always at work. He's always in control. Now, even this last week, I, I had a, a, a guy call me that I met last fall. It was just a one night event. I'd met him. And he called me out of the blue. I hadn't been, I hadn't seen him to talk to him since October, and and uh, he said, "Hey, I want you to work with me on something." And so this last week, we worked on this thing. It was a, um, there's several of us working on a proposal to the government about how churches can function during this time. Like, who's over all those things? These these chance meetings that we have, it's God. God is in control, and I pray, believer, this morning you're encouraged by that. That we have a God who is over everything, and that He would give us eyes to see that. that. That we're not just going and saying things like everyone else, like, Oh, that was lucky, or, Oh, that just happened by chance. There's nothing like that. Our God is in control, and that's an amazing grace of His. The second thing that we see in... Uh, In order to see god's amazing grace we see it in his astonishing compassion we see god's amazing grace in his astonishing compassion verse 5 then boaz said to the to his young man who was in charge of the reapers whose young woman is this now Throughout these verses, we're going to see that, that word young used a lot in, in what the writer's trying to show us is that there's an age gap happening between Boaz and the man who's over, uh, overseeing things and, and over the young woman, Ruth, uh, that he's, he's asking who she is. We don't know exactly what the age difference is, but, but there was an age difference. And, and uh, the writer wants us to know that he is significantly older. You know, maybe it was 20 years older, 25 years older. We're not exactly sure. But he's older. And he goes to this man who's in charge. So in our day, they'd be like, he goes to the foreman. He goes to the supervisor. And he says, hey, uh, whose young woman is this? Not only has he noticed all of the servants and the reapers and said hi to them, but now he notices this young woman, and he's not sure who she is. And the the phrasing that he uses is much different than we'd use today. He says, whose young woman is this? A block is helpful here again. He says, he assumes that Ruth is obviously, obviously a stranger, would not be independent, she must belong to someone or be engaged to some landowner, landowner like himself, though not necessarily as a slave. But the question could also mean, whose daughter or whose wife is she? Or to which clan or tribe does she belong? In any case, he knows she is out of place among his workers and in his field. So we're not exactly sure what his motivation is in asking, but he's just like, who is this? And the servant, verse 6, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Word is spread quickly. Um, Ruth may not know who any, everyone else is, but they all know who she is. You guys ever lived in a small town? Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? I, I remember moving to a small town in Saskatchewan, and... Um, it seemed like everybody knew who I was because of my family there, but I didn't know who else anyone was. And I think that's maybe Ruth's situation here. She doesn't seem to know who anyone is, but they all heard about her. And the way that he says this, it's like, oh, like, Boaz, you know, she's, she's the one. She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She's that foreign woman who came with her. He then tells about the conversation that they'd had earlier in the day in verse 7. She said, uh, Ruth, sorry, had said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So we're not, we weren't told in verse 3 how this all took place, but now we're told that she had came and and sought the favor of this supervisor, of this um, guy who's over the thing this foreman and and uh and he had said sure you can follow along and glean after the harvesters or sorry after the reapers so uh, we're told that she came in the early morning and that she's been working hard all day except for a short rest it just gives us an insight into the kind of person that Ruth was. She came, she put her uh, neck on a line and, and humbled herself and said, Hey, can I reap after your, uh, sorry, glean after your reapers? And, and he's like, okay, sure. And, and now she's been working hard all day long, except for a short break. What I love about this this little section here is you just see, again, a little bit more about Boaz. He obviously has instructed his foreman to be gracious to anyone who would request to glean after the reapers. In other words, Boaz isn't just a guy who talks the talk. He's someone who walks the walk. He's a man who's obedient to the Word of God. He's following the law of God that shows compassion on those who are in need. Even Boaz taking notice of those who are his workers and then this woman who is a stranger tells us something about the kind of man he was. He he was someone who was aware of his surroundings. He was someone who who looked around and saw people around him. It was not your typical rich kind of person, right? The rich kind of people, you know, they, you know they, they drive in the limos and they kind of walk around like this. They're not going to talk to the common people, right? They, they kind of have their own thing. And everybody look at me, but this isn't Boaz. This is a man who's a godly man who's noticing the people around him. He's a, lot, he's a man who's a lot like a man who would come after him, a, one, a man who would be a relative of his, Jesus. And Jesus was someone who always was aware of the people around him. He was a man who had compassion. Uh, Matthew nine thirty six, talking about Jesus, says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's the kind of God that we serve. A compassionate God, and when Jesus came, He was continually looking to the needs of those around Him. And as He looked at this crowd, He's like, "They're they, they're harassed and helpless. They need help." This is why God sent Jesus in the first place, because we're harassed and helpless that our situation apart from God was helpless, that there was no way that we could do anything to be reconciled to Him. And yet He, because of His grace, because of His love, because of His compassion, He sent His Son to live and then to die on our behalf. So I was thinking about this text and, and what this looks like in your, your life and my life. I was thinking we need to be a whole lot like Boaz, like Boaz. We need to be a whole lot like jesus the bible tells us that we're to love the lord our god with all our heart soul mind and strength and then we're to love our neighbor as ourself in other words my worship of him should result in my love for the people around me and so i just want you to think even today what does that look like for you to be a person of compassion to, to follow the Lord's example in your life. What does that look like in your block, in your apartment building, in the body of Christ? How can you be showing compassion to those around you? Well, it starts by you noticing the needs around you, just like Boaz did, just like Jesus did. This last week I was on a, uh, a conference call thing, and, and um, there was a guy uh, from a church in Indianapolis and he was just sharing about uh, what he's been doing during this uh, time of COVID. And um, just to try to break up the monotony, they've been going on a lot of walks. And um, his wife, while they were out walking, she was like, you know, I haven't seen our neighbor for a while. Like, it, it just seems strange that we haven't seen him out. You, you should just go and knock on the door and just make sure everything's okay. Well, he got home, and he kind of forgot about it. And and the next day, they they went out for another walk again. And she's like, why don't you go knock on that door right now? And so he went, and he knocked on the door. And when he got there, he found out that this 82-year-old neighbor of his, that his wife, this man's wife, had had a stroke three weeks earlier, and that she was supposed to be coming home that day. And he was trying to get ready for his wife to come home, but... To be honest he wasn't doing really well with it and so because this pastor knocked on the door he was able to help him with all the needs that he had to to get his wife home into a comfortable situation like we don't we don't know the needs if we're not intentional about going to our neighbors and seeking to love on them So I just want to encourage you, think about that this week. What would it mean for you to be a person of compassion, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, to walk in the footsteps of a man like Boaz, and show compassion? And so just encourage you to to consider that this week. Well, we've seen God's amazing grace in His absolute control. We've seen His amazing grace in His astonishing compassion. And then lastly, we see God's amazing grace in His amazing care. We see his amazing grace in his amazing care. Verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, they're finally talking, Now listen, my daughter. Do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. When he addresses her, he refers to her as a daughter. He doesn't say, Hey, Moabite, right? He doesn't emphasize what, di- what the differences they have. He, he, he doesn't say, you know, you're low class, I'm high class. He refers to her as a daughter, again, because of the age difference. Maybe, again, 25 years, 20 years, we're not sure. But instead of referring to her as sister, he refers to her as, as daughter. Why? Because he cares for her. And out of his compassion and his love for her, he's going he's gonna to take care of this woman. He's going to treat her as if she was his daughter. And so he says to her, do not glean in another field or, or leave this one. He's sparing her the, the, the humili- humiliation of having to go to another place and go to another uh, person to say, hey, can I, re- or can I glean after you? He's sparing her all that. And he's just saying, look, you just stay here with my people, and they'll take care of you. He says here, but keep close to my young women. What does that mean? Well, we're, it's explained as we look at verse 9. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. And so there is a, some of the servants were women, and so he's saying, just follow them. Stay close to them. Uh, many, many of the commentators, they think that when it came to this harvest time, that there were men doing one job and women doing a different job. Hubbard says this men did the actual reaping, while women followed behind collecting and binding the piles of cut grain. And so they're going through, the men are going through and they're cutting it down, and the women are gathering it together and putting it into into piles, and then after that you would have the gleaners. They would come and follow behind with and take care of anything that was left after that. And so he's saying you stay right close to them. Almost he's saying this you're going to have the best spot amongst the gleaners. He's taking care of her in that way. So he's providing for her, but now we also see he's protecting her. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Now, this just reminds us, we're going to see again next week as we continue through the text, this was dangerous, what she was doing. To to go out as a single woman and to go to these fields, it was a dangerous proposition. You can consider the whole uh, gleaning thing. Uh, These are desperate people who are coming to glean. They're they're trying to to get enough so that they can survive. And so I'm sure it could have turned violent in those situations um, because desperate people do desperate things. But it also could be that um, wicked people just do wicked things at times as well. And again, this young woman who's on her own, and She could have been easily subject to, to men uh, coming and, and uh, th- this idea of touch, th- of sexual assault could have been something that she could also have been in danger of. And so this man of influence, Boaz, is saying, listen, you're under my protection. No one's going to hurt you. I'm going to make sure of that. And so he's going to protect her from both physical and sexual assault. And then back to the provision And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Uh, Reading the text here, what what we can surmise is that uh, at the beginning of the day, they would go to the wells and they'd fill up these vessels with water, and then they'd bring them to the fields so they wouldn't have to go back and forth to get their water. And and then they would draw the water from there. The men had drawn it in the morning. They'd carry the vessels there. And, And Boaz is saying, hey, Feel free to go and get your water from there. You don't have to go somewhere else to get your water. You can just get it from here. Again, this is just remarkable what he's saying. This is not usual. He's showing amazing grace to her. Women, we see it back in Genesis, women oftentimes were the ones who got the water. But more than that, it was usually foreigners who would collect the water for the Israelites. And so, really, what Boaz is saying here, you're with me. All the privileges that my servants have, you now have those same privileges. Well, she understands just how incredible this offer is to her. Verse 10, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? I mean she's just overwhelmed by this generosity and she goes and she just bows down before him. This motion is just like to express how thankful she is to Boaz. She bows before him this expression of humility and expression of thankfulness to him. She asks what everyone else may be wondering, why has this foreigner been so so shown, shown such kindness and grace? Why has Boaz taken notice of her. What is clear, though, is, as, as we go through here, is that she believes everything that's been said. She, she, she knows that he is trustworthy by what he said. She doesn't understand how it is that she's been such a recipient of the grace, but she is so thankful for the provision and the protection that he's offering. What a great reminder of the gospel. Why in the world would God offer the provision of life everlasting and protection found in his steadfast love and faithfulness? Have you stopped and thought about that recently? Lord, why have I found favor in your eyes that I should be called a child of God? Lord, why have you blessed me with so much? Lord, who am I that you should take notice of me? Has your heart resonated with the truth of what David says in in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4? Psalm 8, 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Lord, when, like, when I look at all that the Lord has done, when I see his majesty, when I see the glory of his creation, what in the world... Why would God take notice of me? It's incredible that God would do that. And then when you consider the depth of His love and how He has continually pouring out His love upon us and, and, and demonstrating His compassion to us, think about the fact that our sins became the wrath of God on Jesus Christ. As he hung on that cross. Consider Christ's righteousness being credited to our account. Romans 8.32 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I mean, how incredible is this love? Philippians 1, 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Like, how incredible is God's grace towards us? The depth of his grace towards us should cause us to bow in worship and give thanks to him each and every day we should be in awe of all he has done for us let's go back to the account we see here in ruth verse 11 but boaz answered her all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and Nate your native land and came to a people that you did not know before boaz has heard it He's heard the story about all that she left behind, how she left her family, how she left her people, how she left her land, and has come to this place where she doesn't know anyone. He's heard all about it. Now, this has given us a little bit of a picture of why he's showing this grace to her. This is where this account is a little bit different than the gospel account. Because when it comes to you and I receiving God's grace, it wasn't because we did anything great. In fact, Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't like we were, you know, God was like, man, they're doing a pretty good job down there. Maybe I'm just going to come and help, all, help them out a little bit. No, we were walking in rebellion against Him. We were shaking our fist at Him. Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there is no one who does good, not even one. And yet, Christ came and died for us. Incredible. Verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is his desire. This is his prayer, prayer for her. I know what you've left behind, and I know this too, Ruth. I know that you've placed your trust in Yahweh, and I'm praying that he would repay you for all that you have done. Now, usually in the Bible, when it talks about repaying us for what we've done, it's usually in regards to our sin, like Psalm 28.4, give to them according to the work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. That's usually what we are thinking of when we're thinking about getting what we're due. But in this case, he's saying, Ruth, I know all that you did to take care of Naomi. And I'm praying as you have trusted in the Lord that he will repay you a full reward for all that you have done. I love that last phrase because you have trusted in the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What a beautiful picture. You ever seen that even with like chickens? How they kind of put their wings out and they're going kind to of, you know, they're protecting, they're just kind of gathering their chicks in. Like that's the picture here. Ruth, I know that you've come and you've come to rest under God's protection. You you've come to place your trust and your hope in him. Deuteronomy 32 talks about this same picture of of God taking care of his people. Deuteronomy 32, 11 and 12. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. And God taking care of his young, taking care of his people. And now God is taking care of Ruth through his servant, Boaz. He's providing for her. He's protecting her through Boaz. Our God delights to care for those who place their trust in Him. Earlier, Penny had read that Psalm, Psalm 103 let me just highlight some of the things in that psalm. We have a God who who forgets, who forgets not all his benefits. Or, or we're told not to forget all of his benefits. And then he gives, tells us some of those benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's not dealing with us according to our sins. What an incredible God we have. Paul wrote this: Philippians 4:19 and 20. And my God will supply your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever, Amen. God's care for His people is incredible. Well, we see it end in verse thirteen. Then she said, "I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." Once again, we see her her humility before Boaz. She's saying, I'm just, I can't believe that I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. She, again, she's seeing herself as a servant, even though not even a servant as we get to the end of the verse here. But she says, you know, your words have comforted me. Again, consider how her day had begun, her, her nerves that she must have had, the anxiety maybe that she had as she went out to these fields not knowing what was going to happen. And here now she's, this, she's had this man say, listen, don't need to worry about your water. Don't need to worry about tomorrow where you're going to go. And I, my protection is over you. And I'm going to take care of you. What, what comfort his words had brought her. And she responds by saying, I'm not even worthy to be called one of your servants. That's what it's saying here, though I'm not one of your servants. <laughs> I don't even, you know, I, I, it'd be great to be in a place where I'd be called your servant, but I'm not even there yet. That's how she feels about her unworthiness, about this amazing grace that's been shown to her. I don't know about you, but that's kind of been my story. The, the more I know Jesus, the more I feel like Ruth in this place. The more I feel like, God, like, why have you shown grace towards me? Or to me? The more I I, I see Him in His greatness and the more I understand my own sinful tendencies to walk in rebellion against Him, I'm just in awe of His grace towards me. This morning, do you see God's amazing grace towards you? Do you see God's amazing grace in His absolute control? In His astonishing compassion? In His amazing grace? this morning, I pray that your heart has been encouraged. I pray, believer, that you would see God's grace all around you today in in the many, many blessings that He has given to you, That, that your heart will have been lifted from whatever turmoil that you're in, whatever struggle you're having, and that you would find peace as you look at Him. And then today, I can't help but think of maybe someone who's watching this, who you, you've never experienced God's amazing grace. In fact, this morning, as you woke up, you woke up dead in your sin. And I'm praying that today God says, surprise, surprise, and you understand for the first time, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That you would understand for the first time, God loves you so much, that He sent His Son to die for you. That He would provide the payment for your sins, so that you could be reconciled to Him for all of eternity. And that today, as you end the day, you would be alive in Christ. What an incredible day that would be for you. And I'm praying that even today that would happen in your life. If you don't know Him, I'm praying that God would open your eyes to see how much you He cares for you today. May we all see the glory in the grace. Let me pray. Lord God, we do thank You um, for Your Word. It's just so rich, God. So much more could have been said in these verses. And yet, God that nail that we see over and over again, your grace, your grace, your grace. God, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you that you don't give us what we do deserve, but Lord, instead you provide for us and you protect us. And Lord, of course, you've given us the greatest grace of all through Jesus Christ. Lord, you've, you've made a way that we might be reconciled to you that we might know you more and more each day, that we might love you each and every day, that we might be called the children of God. God, thank you for your amazing grace. And God, I'm asking for your grace to be poured out even today on someone new. Lord, today, would you add someone to the body of Christ through them hearing this message? God, we know that you can. We ask that you would. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.